Well, welcome. It's good to see you all. Uh, how's Grace today? Yeah, not so good, huh? Let's try, let's try that again. How's Grace today? All right, it's good to see you all. Uh, my name is Dwayne Cross, and uh, I'm formerly the pastor of Hope Covenant Church. I was there from 2000 to 2015 when I retired, which I'm not very good at. And uh, uh, David was my associate from 2004 until 2011 before he came here as your lead pastor. And uh, it's just really an honor to uh, work with David and serve him. And uh, this summer, uh, uh, Debbie and I are going to shepherd you uh, for the summer. It's going to be great. We we met a lot of uh, winter visitors in the first service who uh, said hi and goodbye. So uh, we won't see as much of them, but we'd love to see you. So uh, I got a call this morning at 5.30 from Teresa. Uh, now, <clears throat> we were planning on being here anyway because David was going to introduce me and Debbie as your shepherds for this summer. Uh, so we were planning on being here, but at 5.30, Teresa called and said, David's really sick. Uh, can you preach today? And so uh, here I am and uh, <laughs> need your prayers. But it reminds me, in the fall of 2009... It was a Saturday, late morning, early afternoon, and I came down with the flu. I mean, I was so sick. Uh, just probably felt the way David does today. I was, and, I, and I said uh, to Sherry, I said, I'll be better by tomorrow, you know, by Sunday. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, no, you're not going to make it to church tomorrow. I said, I'm going to make it to church tomorrow. Well, that night, it was obviously that I wasn't going to. So I called David, who was still pretty green in those days, and uh, didn't have many sermons in his barrel. And uh, I said, David, I need, you to, uh, I need you to preach tomorrow. He said, well, what should I preach on? I said, well, do you have anything in your barrel? He says, no, my barrel's pretty empty. Uh, I said, well, come by. I'll give you my sermon notes and you can just make, make the best of that. So he did that. I knew at that time that someday he would get back at me. <laughs> And that day is today, so pray for David as he's uh, recouping. Uh, I'd like to introduce uh, two impressive ladies. Ladies, if you would stand up. Uh, The one in blue is my wife, Sherry, of 47 years, and she'll be here to hang out with you this summer. Uh, Debbie DiBernardi is a pastor and a spiritual director, and she and I will have the privilege of shepherding you over the summer. So uh, give them a nice welcome. There you go. So it's, uh, it's just really great uh, to be with you uh, today. Um, I have um, a lot of sermons in my file cabinet and electronically, but I wanted to bring something fresh to you. Um, and so the sermon I preached the last time was a couple of weeks ago <clears throat> at Restoration... Can I, can I have that water, honey, please? At Restoration Covenant Church in uh, Redlands, California. So what I'm part of my non-retirement is I'm working with the conference, the Pacific Southwest Conference, uh, teaching seminars called Veritas. And those of you that know a little Latin know that that means truth. And the idea is that uh, we're going to churches that are feeling stuck, uh, like they're not moving forward missionally, uh, they're not as healthy as they would like to be. Uh, and uh, so we go, as the conference, we go and we help those churches kind of get unstuck and identify who they are, 
where they're stuck and then help them to become healthy missional churches again, like yours. Yours is a healthy missional church. And so we look at 10 missional markers and one of those missional markers is uh, a church that has a passion to reach the lost. And of all of the 10 mission markers, things like we believe the Bible is the word of God, we believe in compelling small groups, we believe in a dynamic worship, all of those 10 missional markers, the one that is least apparent in most covenant churches is the one about reaching the lost. Even though in our name, the Evangelical Covenant Church is evangelical, uh, many times we don't do a very good job with that as an established church. So I love to preach on evangelism. I know for some of you that sounds scary, but believe me, it won't be scary for you uh, because I believe that every church that is healthy is going to see a number of people come to Jesus every year in their ministry and their extended ministry in their community. So, so this morning I would like to bring that message to you uh, entitled, A Deep Desire to Reach the Lost. And I'm going to ask you, if you will, to um, pray with me. And to do that, I would encourage you, if you will, simply to extend your arms as a kind of a symbol of receptivity to the Word, not to me, but to the Word of God. And we'll ask the Father to just uh, join us now. Father, uh, here are your people, Grace Community Church in Oro Valley, uh, We thank you, Father, for this church, for their ministry. We thank you for their pastor, for David and Teresa, for Isaac. Thank you for um, the ministry that they do here in this area. And this morning, Father, here's my simple prayer. My prayer is that uh, this congregation would would receive your word, uh, the word that is um, able to uh, rightly divide the word inside of each and every one of us, the the word that is able to explode within us to cause us to love better and believe more. The word that is available to us this morning. And so I pray, Father, that that word would go out, that your spirit would move among us and use this in a powerful way. And I do pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So um, we're going to go a little old school today because... uh, uh, again, we don't have any slides. I don't have any movie clips. We don't even have the ability to put the uh, scriptures that I'm going to use up on the screen, at least that quickly. So we're going to go old school, right? Anybody remember what this is? Sure you do. Yeah. Yeah, I might have to blow the dust off it at home because uh, most of you, when you read your Bibles, you read this little guy, which is fine. And uh, so I encourage you to have these available to uh, no, no uh, you know, playing Candy Crush, but you know, go right to you version, uh, where, where you belong. And, uh, and so I'm going to be inviting you to join us by reading the scriptures, but, um, and I promise I'm not going to do Habakkuk because you couldn't find it anyway. Uh, but we'll do verses that you can find. And the one that we're going to spend the most time in is Mark chapter two, verses one to 12. So if you want to go ahead and get, uh, uh, locate that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. That's a wonderful passage that, um, one of the great, Jesus' greatest stories, you know, it's when he was teaching and uh, the four men put a hole in the roof and lowered the guy down in front of him. So we're going to talk about that, uh, that story today. So uh, I'd like to begin by asking you a question. And it's this, what is it that breaks your heart? What is it that uh, keeps you awake at night, that, that, that troubles your soul? 
What is it that bothers you in our world that you wish you could do something about, but sometimes you just realize that you can't? Now, if you can identify that thing or those things, I would say that you are blessed. It doesn't feel like a blessing sometimes, but you're blessed with a burden. God has placed a burden on your heart for some injustice or something in this world. Uh, Some of you might be thinking that uh, it's about an injustice in the world. World hunger, sex trafficking, the plight of refugees, uh, the fires and floods that we saw in Southern California, racism, sexism, any ism that is hateful. What is it that breaks your heart? When I ponder this question, I want to come at it from a little bit different direction. So uh, I, like many of you, I am a Christ follower. Uh, Since I was 16 years of age, I gave my heart to Jesus, and I have been a Christ follower ever since then. So when I look at this question, I want to come at it from this direction. What is it that breaks the heart of Jesus? Because as a Christ follower, right, I want to love the things that he loves, to hate the things that he hates, and to cry over the things that he cries over. What is it that Jesus has a broken heart over? What does he weep over? Now, we we see in the Gospels that there are many things that he really deeply cares about. Uh, Orphans and widows, uh, the discarded, the diseased, uh, those who abuse power, the prejudice, hatred of any stripe, all of these things bother Jesus greatly. So many things mattered to him. But there was one thing above everything else that was the mo- he was the most passionate about. He was the deepest heart felt about. And that was this, that Jesus had a deep, deep desire to reach the lost. Now in the New Testament, they confirm that in several ways. Uh, so a few years later, Peter wrote about this. And later than that, about 20 years after that, Paul wrote. But let me share what some of Jesus' followers said about this idea that we should have this deep passion to reach the lost. Um, Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 3.9. Now remember, Peter was this broken, backslidden, redeemed, restored follower of Jesus. Sounds like you and me, doesn't it? Uh, That really spoke the Lord's heart when he said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, and you ask the question, why? Because he is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter says the Lord's heart is that he doesn't want anyone to perish, to be lost for eternity without the Father. And he wants everyone to come to repentance. And then, like I said, 25 years after Peter wrote, Paul said it this way in Galatians 4.19. He said, My dear children, talking to the people in his church, for whom I am again, listen to this, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, Paul never experienced childbirth, but he knew that there was a lot of pain involved in that. And this is what Paul was saying. He said, when I see a friend or a loved one, when I see somebody that God loves and that I love, that doesn't know Jesus, it gives me a pain in my soul until I see that person come to know Christ and come to experience Christ being formed in that person. And then Jesus said it like this, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
And you have to ask yourself, is there any way that that's unclear or ambiguous? Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. The reason I'm on this planet, the reason I came to earth, the reason the Father sent me is so that I can seek out those who have said no so that they will say yes so that I can find those who do not know me so that I can love them until they see that they can have a life with me. Nothing matters more to God than to see men and women, boys and girls, accept this amazing gift of salvation secured for you when Jesus lived, died on the cross, rose again, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. So here's a question that Jesus might ask of us. Does your heart, right now, on this Sunday, does your heart break for the lost? For those who have not yet said yes to Jesus, for those who have not experienced the, the freedom and the grace of knowing Jesus, who have not experienced the life-transforming power of the gospel. Does your heart break for the lost? Now, what I'm not talking about is door-to-door evangelism, right? Some of you are terrified of that. In fact, some of you are terrified of the word evangelism. But let me tell you what we're talking about. We're not talking about, uh, you know what I mean when I I say bullhorn guy? You, You know what a bullhorn guy is? You know, the guy is always on the street corner yelling and screaming that nobody pays attention to. We're not talking about bullhorn guy, and we're not talking about going and knocking on doors. When I was a kid, uh, back in the 60s, a teenager, um, our church was a very legalistic, fundamental church, very narrow, and uh, we were told that God wanted us to go and knock on doors, and he wouldn't, God wouldn't be happy with us unless we did. And so I was a terrified 16-year-old boy that was shamed and guilted into going and knocking on doors. I mean, aren't you glad you didn't live then? And, uh, and so I remember so well walking up to a home with my Bible and some gospel tracts and just sweating and shaking. And here was my prayer. And you would have, you know, 16-year-old, you know, you have to have great prayers. My prayer was, God, please don't let them be home. You know, you know, you know that's what I was. I wasn't praying about them coming to Christ. You know, that didn't even cross my mind. Just don't let them be. We're not talking about that. See, when I see Jesus approach this subject of reaching people for the, who are lost, I see this quiet urgency, a deep love for every person, not just the people that clean up well, but every person on the planet, every person he encounters. I mean, when he did speak to a crowd, it wasn't with a bullhorn, but he said things like, blessed are those who are broken in their spirit and blessed are the merciful and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These were the people he was talking to. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they said no. Jesus healed many, but his priority was always to heal the heart first. Jesus said in Luke 19:10, "I came to come I came to seek and to save the lost." Now, There's many stories in the New Testament that we could talk about that kind of identify the subject of having a passion for the lost. But the one I've selected is a a wonderful story that most of you know from Mark chapter 2. And here, you you know the setting. Uh, Jesus has been going on. Now, he's done some miracles up to this point, so the crowds are starting to get pretty big. 
And he broke into this, he went into this home, somebody invited him in, and the crowds just gathered all around him. So let me read that text for you. From Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, uh, this is the word of God for the people of God at uh, Tucson Community, at uh, Grace Community Church. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus, this is a key word, saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, put yourself in that position. The guy's paralyzed. Everybody's watching. They're expecting a flash, flash dance of miracle, right? And what do they get? Your, sons, your sins are forgiven. Okay, they wanted something more than that, but they got that. Well, let's go on. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say that to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take up, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Isn't that a great story? I mean, life in uh, Palestine in those days, in Jesus' days, they were very public, very open. And so one day in Capernaum, Jesus started a teaching in this house that didn't have really any doors or windows. It was just a thatched roof and a few uh, sides. But there was a lot of open spaces. And the followers just kind of barged right in. And soon the house was just packed like sardines. And people were overflowing into the street. Now we look at the crowd and we don't know really why everybody was there except that they had heard that there was maybe going to be a miracle. Uh, but we do know why these four stretcher bearers were there, Right? They were there because they were desperate to get their friend to Jesus because they recognized that only Jesus could give this man what he needed. Now, they probably thought it was just the paralysis that they were concerned about. But maybe they knew the scriptures. These were Jewish, Jewish men. Maybe they realized that Jesus had something more to give than just a whole body, but to forgive his sins. What an amazing truth that was. So now, now other people were there. They had other reasons for being there, other motivations. Uh, some were there out of curiosity. Maybe they were what we would call today church shopping. Back in those days, they called it Messiah shopping. Uh, maybe they will uh, you know, say, will this guy meet my family's needs? You know, will they have a great children's ministry? Uh, I mean, will we see something spectacular? Will we see a miracle? Because that's really what they wanted to see. And some of them were maybe saying, what's in this for me? I mean, what do I get out of this? I mean, I've got, 
sciatica pain and I've got a corn, you know, I, I, what, am I going to be healed? So everybody had a different reason, but these four men knew why were, they were there. And I want to just share a couple of things about why they were there and what motivated them. The first thing we recognize is they had a deep love for their friend. Imagine, they were so intent, so determined to get their friend to Jesus, they dug a hole in their roof. Who's going to pay for that? Well, they are. Embarrassed? Yeah. Ridiculed? You bet. But why did they do that? They said, well, we're doing this because we love our friend and we believe that this guy is the only guy that can give him what he needs. How much do we love those around us? Jesus really made it quite simple. The Pharisees Most of you who've been around the Bible and around church realize this, but the religious rulers of Jesus' day um, were always trying to uh, trick him, were trying to catch him in a lie or a misstep. And uh, this particular day was no different. This is another occasion when uh, Jesus was teaching. And um, they were hoping that he would say something that would kind of make him look silly. Now, the reason they were motivated by this, the Pharisees, is uh, that they were losing some of their popularity, right? They were losing some of their their juice with the people. Uh, People were starting to follow Jesus and recognize him as a teacher, as a rabbi, and they were losing some of their zip, so they did not like that at all. So they're trying to catch him. So this one time, they said, one Pharisee, I know how I'll get him, because there's so many commandments. I'll ask him, which is the greatest commandment? Now, they had uh, in their minds, most of the Jewish people in those days, had in their minds what? The Big Ten, Right? Remember, you know, the Big Ten, right? How many of you saw uh, Mel Brooks, uh, The Meaning of the History of Life or whatever? Okay, some of you are laughing. You know what I'm going to say right here. Okay. And so Mel Brooks comes out and he's got three tablets of five commandments each. The Lord has given me 15, and then he drops one of the tablets. The Lord has given me 10 commandments. You know, yeah. Aren't you glad it's not 15? Because you guys can't even handle 10. You can't. And so there were not just the Ten Commandments. Out of the Ten Commandments, there were 600 laws that came out of the Ten Commandments. And out of the 600 laws, there were thousands of other laws that defined those laws that defined the Ten Commandments called the Midrash. And so all of this was happening, all of these commandments swirling around. Everybody thought, there's no way he's going to answer this. And this is what Jesus said to the crowd. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. And you know what the Pharisees are thinking? That's not even one of the commandments. You're making up a new one. You're saying that all the the big 10 and the 600 and the thousands, you're saying that none of those are good enough to be number one? That's Jesus said, that's exactly what I'm saying. This commandment supersedes, is above and greater than all of the other commandments. All of the other, this is what I should do. All of the other, I'm going to obey. All of the other doctrines and theologies that you have. This was the greatest And then again, 20 years later, Paul said in a different way, but the same message in Romans 13, chapter verses 9 and 10, uh, he said, 
the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. By the way, he mentions just a few of the commandments. They're, they're the biggies. You know what I mean by the biggies? The biggies are the, are the things that you don't do, right? The biggies are the ones somebody else does. You know, you do the other stuff, but the biggies are the ones that are really bad because you don't do them, okay? The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you understand how revolutionary this teaching was that Jesus gave? That Peter confirmed, that John confirmed, that the Apostle Paul confirmed, that all of the teachings that you grew up with hang on these two laws. Everything else flows from, listen, and is subservient to every teaching, every sermon, every what about this thing, what about sex, what about marriage, what about race, what about war, must be filtered through love God, love people. Jesus said, no exceptions. And here's what else he might have said to modern day Christians. Don't you dare use your theology or your doctrine to unlove somebody. Don't you dare use your teachings that you believe in so firmly to tell somebody else that they're not loved and that they're not worth God. Don't you dare use that to unlove somebody. Jesus said, this is what matters. And what I see in these four men that brought their friend in front of me was this great love that they had, this amazing love they had for their friend. Jesus said it a different way in Luke chapter 15. We won't go into those verses. When we asked the question, do you really have a passion for the lost? Um, he gave three parables in Luke 15. Parable of the, uh, the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, Right? Now, when Jesus used to say things once, it mattered. When he said things twice, you better pay attention. When he said things three times, he said, this, this matters more than anything else. And here's what he said. That one lost sheep, that lost coin that nobody else seems to think about, that lost son, that lost son that treated his dad and his mom so poorly, that lost son that should be treated with you know, tough discipline, tough love, that lost son that shouldn't get anything because he hasn't earned anything, those, he really matters to me. Jesus said, he really matters to me. That lost sheep, that lost coin, that lost son. He really matters to me. People matter. Lost people matter. That's the heart of Jesus. Who do you love? Who is it that you love? Do you love just those who are lovable? The Bible's pretty clear that uh, we're supposed to love all people, even our neighbors. And that's kind of hard because our neighbors, we have these brick walls and our garage door open. We don't have to see our neighbors, but we're supposed to love all people, including, are you ready for this? Your enemies? In fact, Christianity is the only religion, world religion, that insists that you love your enemies. Everyone else, every other religion says either ignore them or kill them. But Christianity says to love your enemies. Jesus was very clear about this, that nothing mattered more, nothing mattered more to his heart than loving people. What caused the good shepherd to leave the 99 and pursue the lost one? It was love. What made the father stand on the edge of town praying for his lost son would return home? 
It was love. What drove our heavenly father from heaven to earth? It was love again. John 3.16 records his motivation for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. These four men brought their paralytic friend to Jesus because they loved him so much. And they didn't count the cost and they knew it would be costly and they knew it would be embarrassing, but they did not consider the risk. Why? Because as Peter said, God does not want anyone to be lost, but he wants all people to change their hearts and their lives. There's something else that we see with these four stretcher bearers. Not only their great love for their friend, but kind of a recognition. A recognition that nobody else could help their friend except Jesus. Do you have that recognition for people in your life who have said no to God? Do you have that recognition that people that you love and care for that have not yet said yes to Jesus are simply and eternally lost without him? I have, um, or I had uh, a grandfather, uh, Grandpa Price, his name was, he was um, my favorite person in the world growing up. When I was 18 years old, he was diagnosed with um, uh, uh, terminal disease and was hospitalized. And he was just 69 years old, but... uh, uh, he was dying, and all the family knew it. And I remember thinking as I was growing up, he was a carpenter, and I used to go out to his shop, and he'd show me all kinds of neat stuff, and I just loved him. But I also noticed that every Sunday when we'd go to church, and my grandparents lived next door to us, so we all went to church together, that Grandpa didn't go. And I'd ask Grandma once, how come Grandpa doesn't go to church? Well, Dwayne, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't believe in God, and uh, uh, he thinks it's okay for us, for women and children, but he doesn't think he needs it. And just pray for your grandpa. So I, all my life I'd been praying for him in that way, but now, now it's very serious. He's dying. And I remember laying in my bed one night. I was a freshman in college, and uh, just tears came to my eyes at the realization, listen, the grandpa was not going to be in heaven for eternity. didn't matter how much I loved him. It didn't matter that he was a really good man. It didn't matter that uh, he was the most important person on the face of the earth to me. He didn't know Jesus and he was going to be lost and that was killing me on the inside. Like Paul said, that, like, I, I'm giving birth. He said, this pain is so great. It was killing me. The next day, I went to the hospital after, after classes and uh, I screwed up my courage and I had my Bible and I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to say, but I was terrified because grandpa was so important to me and he'd think I was a silly kid and he would make fun of me and all of this stuff I had in my mind. And I went into the hospital room and with sweat pouring down and fumbling around with my words, probably said everything wrong. I'd read the, probably the wrong scriptures that had no bearing on anything. And I did all this and finally I said, grandpa, would you give your heart to Christ? And he said, yes, I will. So this 18-year-old kid that was shy and terrified was able to pray and lead his grandpa to Christ. Do you have that kind of um, sense for people in your life that don't know Jesus? Recognize that people without him are lost? I've done in my ministry over 200 funerals and memorial services. And uh, I've often heard family members say something like this. Well, Grandpa wasn't much of a churchgoer and he didn't like religion, but he was a hard worker. And besides his gambling problem and the fact that he ordered a stripogram on his 80th birthday, he was a pretty good guy. And here's what the family members would always say. What? 
we know what? He's in a better place. How do we know that? Are you kidding me? How do we know that Grandpa's in a better place? We better find out from Grandpa before he dies if his heart has been given to the Savior, if he has been redeemed by the power of the blood of Christ. We better be sure of that the best way we can. We need to have this passion for people who have said no and that have yet to say yes to Jesus. Jesus made it very clear when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. No one. This is serious business. Like my grandfather, I cannot bear to see anyone that I love spend eternity outside of Christ. Do you have that same sense of urgency? I must get my friend, my son, my daughter, my grandmother, my dad. I must get him to Jesus. I don't care about the embarrassment. I don't care about the cost. I just have to because I love them and I recognize the urgency. These four stretcher bearers loved their friend. They recognized the urgency of getting them to Jesus. And then they displayed this incredible passion by actually, what did the text say? He, Jesus, what saw their faith. This incredible passion. So they arrived at the house undeterred. They were going to do anything at, at any cost to get their friend in front of Jesus. Now, in those days, these little huts basically that they lived in, they had uh, wooden planks about three feet apart. And then they filled in with straw and uh, clay and manure, and, you know, which is not good in the rain, by the way. And so that's what the roofs were about. And they also have... Um, on their roof, it was kind of flat, so they had a ladder up there. So they'd go up there and they could, uh, you know, use that as extra space so you could actually get up on top of the roof. Well, imagine the scene. Jesus is in there teaching. Press, the crowd is pressing against him and he's talking and they're leaning in and listening. And, and all of a sudden, there's this pinhole of light in the ceiling, right? And then it gets bigger and then there's flakes of manure and clay and straw come wafting down. And then he looks up and they see four uh, images of four men and what's going on? And people are pointing and laughing and ridiculing. And then they see this, this mat and lowered down with four ropes and the guy just plopped right in front of Jesus. What kind of passion, what kind of energy, what kind of does that take? And these guys did it and because this matters more than anything else. And, and Jesus sees the man and he knows what everybody's thinking. Here's the chance for the miracle, Right? Here's the chance to see Jesus do something spectacular so we can go and tell other people. Here's the opportunity. And so what does Jesus do? He reaches down, he leans down, he sees the man's heart, he recognizes his greatest need, is not his physical paralysis, but it's his heart of stone. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Is that beautiful? Your sins are forgiven. If you're passionate about reaching the lost if your gut aches when you consider a loved one without Jesus. Let me just share with you as I close four practical things you can do to make this message come alive. I know Pastor David always gives you some things to do to make the the passage come alive. Let me do that with you. Just four things. The first is this. To pray. Father, give me a heart. Give me a heart for those who are lost. And I'm not talking about just the people you know. 
But how about the uh, three billion Muslims in the world? How about all the people in the world that seemingly we're supposed to hate, but as Christ followers, we're not to hate anyone? Ask God to give you a heart, a broken heart for the lost, especially for those that you know, family members and friends. Just pray, God, give me a heart for the lost. The second thing I want you to do is welcome people into your life that don't know Jesus. Too many Christians insulate themselves from the world. You know, we're afraid of the world touching us. Well, we're supposed to be touching the world. We're supposed to be influencing the world. That's what Jesus did. Welcome people into your life who don't know Christ. My biggest mission field is the gym where I go every day, except Sunday. And I go there and I know dozens of people and we have conversations and we talk about different things. And, and when my, because my heart is open to this, you can't believe how many times they ask me about faith or about this situation. When we had the school shooting in Florida a couple of weeks ago, one guy, we talked for a half hour about that. And he said, I should get a gun and I'm going to go blow. And I was able to share with him, you know, that's not going to do it. That's not going to do it. So we need to find a way to reach these people and to share with them the love that God has shown to us. So welcome people into your life that don't know Christ. The third thing I'd ask you to do, and this is really important, know your story and know God's story. And what I mean by know your story, know what Christ has done for you, be able to verbalize it and share it with someone else. You know, when I was 16 years old, I went to Youth for Christ rally and I gave my heart to Jesus. And let me tell you what he has done in my life since then, for the last 50 years. It's been amazing how God has loved me. My life hasn't been always easy, but this is what God has done in my life. Know your story. And then ask God to help you tell your story because people will argue with scripture, but they won't argue with your experience. You tell them your story and then tell them God's story. And know God's story. That Jesus died for your sins. That he rose again on the third day and that he lives... He lives his life fully for you. And he wants to live his life, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ lives in me, he wants to live in you. He wants to give you forgiveness and eternal life. And it's amazing. So know your story and know God's story. And and, and then the final thing you need to do is just simply have faith. Pastor David is gonna hopefully start his new series next Sunday on faith. And you need to understand that faith is a powerful tool. Abraham was saved by faith in the Old Testament. We're always saved by faith. And uh, I, I really believe this with all my heart. We need to learn to believe better, not behave better. If we believe better, the Bible says, behave on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, right? Nope, nope. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. If we believe better, we'll behave better. We need to really believe and trust God that he's going to bring somebody into your life so that you can share your life with him. So if you believe with every fiber of your being that Christ can and will transform a life, live it and live it fully. Now, what do we do with a message like this? We're called to love, to recognize the urgency and to passionately pursue those who are lost. And I invite you, if you will now, to... uh, Simply close your eyes and bow your heads. If everyone would please do that out of reverence for the word. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, here's what I would invite you to do. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to help us do this. I'd like you to visualize with your mind's eye the face of a person that you love that doesn't know Jesus. 
someone that's far from God. Might be a child, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, a friend, a co-worker, another student. That you visualize the face of a person, someone that you love, that doesn't hasn't yet said yes to Jesus. And with that face in your mind's eye, allow me to pray for you. Father, I pray that these faces that we see, these faces for whom you died, these people that matter so much to you, like the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw these people to you and that you enable us to partner with you doing our very best to share our story and your story with them. Father, give us a broken heart for this person and to pray for them diligently that they come to know you and that we might be able to celebrate one day them saying yes and experiencing heaven and eternity with all of us. So Father, that's our prayer. And may these who we see and these who we love come to know you and to experience your amazing grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, Amen.